Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church. How are y'all doing? This is usually the part of the sermon where a pastor tells you his title or what he does. But I don't really have any fancy titles. I was joking with Andrew and Tommy that I'm probably like the eighth or ninth string preacher here at ICC. Um, But one title I am proud of lately is that I'm Aaron's husband. Come on. I got to picture that. Then on the next slide, it's me and Aaron. We got married on June 17th. You know, you can tell, you can tell I got lucky. She's a lot prettier than me. Um, but we really had such a wonderful summer and really got to celebrate in unity with a lot of friends and family back in East Tennessee and just celebrate God's goodness in bringing us together. And I've been a little anxious, nervous the past couple weeks preparing for this and I shared that with Aaron that I just want to be faithful, I want to be effective, I just, I just want him to get it, you know? And she's known that and this morning before we left, she said, babe, you don't have to be funny, you don't have to be witty, you don't have to be charming, you don't have to be any of those, just be yourself. And I said, wow. And, you know, I'm trying to learn about this love languages thing, and they keep telling me about it, and it turns out I'm a words of affirmation guy. So that one kind of cut deep, you know? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She's been so supportive of me. And one other thing that Aaron and I got to do is be a part of supporting our global missions partner, Glenn Roseberry in Tanzania. I have a picture of Aaron and I there. Let's get back one for me, Rick. Yeah, there we are. That's outside of Mount Meru. And Aaron and I got to have such a wonderful time and God really met us there and communed with us as we chose to intentionally serve that way. And I have another picture of our team. Robbie put up pictures last week, so I figured why can't I, you know? But that's just uh, our team. And I just wanted to take this moment to brag on them. So many friends and familiar faces that serve so compassionately to lots of the patients that we're seeing and also super effective in gospel sharing. And that's Glenn Roseberry, our missions partner there. And I also want to take just a second to thank Whitney Beach and David Marshall. They are former and our former and current global missions coordinators and they were just a tremendous help and huge support to every member of our team and especially to me uh, as I had the opportunity to lead that team just a tremendous help in getting us equipped with everything we need and also administrative support which number one I'm bad at and number two I hate doing so it was just a huge help Um, so just thank you Whitney and David wherever you're at here. Um, Just thank you for being such a good friend to me. Um, And and also friends to the people of the nations as you help equip people to go be sent to share the good news of Jesus. 
So thank you for that. This summary series has been all about loving our neighbor. It's called Love Your Neighbor. And according to Jesus, loving our neighbor is part of the greatest commandment that we see him share. We see it in Matthew chapter 22, the Lord Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So these two commandments are the greatest callings of our Christian lives. More than anything else that we're called to, that beginning with ourselves, that we would find all of our joy and all of our gladness in who God is and what he's done for us. And that his goodness would pour out in our own lives and affect our neighbors, neighbors both near and far, with the hope that they too would find all of their delight and all of their hope in him. And that our reflection, that we'd be a reflection of his love here on earth. And this summer, we've really focused on the second part of that command, to love our neighbor as ourself. And the text that's been our home base has been the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we've affectionately been calling the parable of the good neighbor. And in that, that parable, we've let the tensions of it really shape our series, and we've answered two questions. The first being, well, who is my neighbor? Who are these people? And we've seen that our neighbors, church, are first and foremost those in our proximity, meaning the people that literally live next door or literally live across the street. So for me, I'm an island boy. I'm proud to be an island boy. So for me, that's, that's Island Town Drive and Island Village. But it's not only those in our proximity, but it's also the people in our pathways. That it's the people at our work or it's our classmates. It's the other parents at the ball field and the people we see every day rubbing elbows with as we do what we do. So we covered that it's the people in our proximity and our pathways, and then really begin to chew on the question of, well, what kind of neighbors are we? And with humble hearts, just ask the Lord and evaluate it. What kind of neighbors are we here at ICC? And each week we've, we've looked at a good neighbor value, which is a command or exhortation from scripture that we see as practically executable and really doable in our everyday lives as neighbors. We've discussed five of them so far. It's values like good neighbors practice hospita hospitality. They serve, they pray, they live justly. And last week, Robbie and Zach shared about how good neighbors, they share good news. And I've been so encouraged that so many of you all, church, are exemplary disciples in the way that you've walked in these things. And one of the things that's uniquely encouraged me this, this series is our storyboard right outside. It's story after story that's showing that this isn't just something that we're doing on Sunday morning. It's a preacher's dream. It's more than just here at church, but we're going out in faith on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the week. And it's showing that we're not just seeking to love people in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth as God would have for us. And there's fruit behind it. So I'm just so proud of you all. And so many of you all are good neighbors. But here's the thing. In my life, I have some good neighbors, if not great neighbors. And I've been really challenged by it lately and the thing that God has said on my heart is more than, more than he wants us to be good, he wants us to be distinct. 
He wants us to be distinct. It's not being good in a broken place, but it's being different. And this question of what makes us distinct has been laid on my heart. One moment here. (laughs) See, the Lord has sent out his church to live radically transformed lives. It's all I see in scripture. He says, you're the salt of Jesus. He speaks of his followers. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you church are like a city that's set on a hill. You're the light of the world. He says, we'll be living lives that when secular people or unbelieving folks, when they look at us, they'd pause and say, wow, look at their lives. Look at the home. Look at their good works. And they would stop and have reason to pause and glorify God. And here's where I've been so challenged, guys, even in this past month once I returned from this summer. Here's where I've been so challenged towards this distinction, not just simply being good. It's because in my life, I have neighbors and they're great. In this past month, I've been hospitably invited over for coffee and meals. My neighbors serve me and Aaron by pushing our trash in, getting our mail, keeping an eye on our house. Every time my neighbors see me, they ask about how my school's going or how Aaron's work is. They cook us things, they bless us with gifts. So you can see they're great. But here's the kicker, church. None of them would identify as a Christian. None of them would identify that they follow Jesus. And here's another one, they're so compassionate towards me. I had my car stolen a few weeks ago and uh, I, I told them that just in conversation and they show compassion on me. And you know, I'm walking in from parking and my neighbor comes out and I see her pull something out of her, her pocket and it's a pair of keys. She says, AJ, you know, we have this car my, my older mom, she never really drives it. Here, take it, have it. And this just humbles my heart that these people don't even follow Jesus and they're doing radical things like this. So you see, the world has plenty of good neighbors, at least in my life. But what the world and certainly my neighborhood needs are some neighbors who are radically distinct. And it's a distinction, church, that we cannot manufacture from trying harder or being more clever with new, fresh ideas that we in our wisdom think might be winsome. Because there's things, church, that only God can do. This type of radically distinct neighboring that changes everything around us can only come by God's grace and by his promise of help. See, Jesus didn't give us the great commission and the great commandments and then proceed to talk about how good and how capable his disciples are. No. Rather, the basis of their confidence was that he promised that he would be with them. He'd be with them in the mission. And the only way that we as individuals and as a church can be distinct neighbors like this is to live by the Spirit. And this is the whole point of everything that I'll say today. If we wanna live differently as neighbors in a broken world and be the light of the world, like Jesus says, we must live by the Spirit. And we see it in scripture that Jesus promises, he says, I won't leave you as orphans that he'll come to be with us. And he gives us the promise of help. We see this directly from John chapter 16. 
It comes from verses seven and eight. This is Jesus speaking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is a tremendous promise by Jesus, but it must have been quite startling to hear as a disciple. This Jesus, this is the man whom the disciples have left wives and children and homes and jobs for. This is the man whom they've seen give sight to the blind. The man whom they've seen heal paralytic, paralytics and cleanse lepers. They've even seen him raise a man from the dead. Yet here Jesus is saying, despite all this, it's better that I go. It's better this way and you'll be better off. You know, if I was one of the disciples and I heard that, I probably would have pulled an old Peter and back talked him a little bit. I'd say, there's no way, Jesus, because you're the one that's been preaching all the sermons. You're the one that's been healing everybody. You're the one that's been feeding everybody. And Lord, we just kind of followed you. I'd say, if you're leaving, then I'm coming too, you know? But for us today, as we are seeking to fulfill the great commandments and walk as good neighbors and fulfill the great commission, and we have these dreams and aspirations of our neighborhoods and the city of Memphis looking more like the kingdom of God, we too may be tempted to think, oh, if only Jesus were here. If only he were here with us in the flesh, he could do it. He could win my neighbor. He could fix our problems. And I'm sure he could. But the Lord Jesus teaches that it is better that he goes. For if he does not go, we would not receive our greatest help and perhaps our greatest hope in, the, in our Christian lives, who is the helper, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that completes the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, 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 the way that biblical authors speak about the personal presence of God. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit was there at creation from eternity past, hovering over the deep, and that he lives in submission to the Father and the Son, always bringing glory to them. We see him throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit uniquely equipped men and women to go do extraordinary work for God. You can think of how Joseph was able to interpret dreams, or you can think about many of the prophets who God uniquely anointed with his spirit to see the present moment through God's eyes and to call out for reform. And then in the New Testament, we see the arrival of the Son of God, who is Jesus. And Jesus, he gives up his life on the cross. But then on the third day, he triumphantly resurrects. Then the Bible teaches that he ascended to heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God, even to this day. So as Jesus is now physically departed from the world, it's now God's spirit that is at work in this current moment of redemptive history. So when we see Christian revival or moves of God in the world today, it's the Holy Spirit at work. Or when we feel God or encounter his presence as we sing on Sunday mornings or as we read and pray, or maybe you're out in nature enjoying creation and you feel God, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Or when you feel like the Lord gives you a word or speaks to you, that's the Holy Spirit moving. And the Holy Spirit is even with us now as we gather, as he promises to be. And in the new covenant of grace, which is made available by Jesus' shed blood, he freely comes to dwell in the hearts of everyone who would believe. 
But friends, I I must say, and I, I wouldn't be loving you well if I did not say that the Holy Spirit will only reside in those who have truly repented of sin and truly placed their work in Jesus and his finished work to reconcile us back to God the Father. So it's only these folks that have devoted their entire lives and all of their heart's affections to Jesus who get to enjoy God's personal presence always and forever. And within the heart of every believer, the Holy Spirit functions to make much of Jesus in their hearts and in their minds and brings about his glory and he strengthens their faith in who God is and the truth of his word. And he lives within to make the Lord's own a holy people, consecrated before the Lord, distinct as we've already talked about. And he promises to bring about fruit in their lives, fruit like the Bible says of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He does this in the heart of every believer But the Holy Spirit also works in unique ways, in different ways and in different people. He'll give people callings, he'll give people opportunities. And we're gonna talk more about that unique leadership later. But this is the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing this morning. Only he, only the Holy Spirit gives the power that can change our neighborhoods in the ways that we so desire. And this is our last value of the summer. After this, the the series is over. But this is perhaps the most important one that we seek after, walk with, and abide by the living spirit of God. And I'll humbly argue with you today that if we miss this church, then we might miss the rest. It's value number six, but if we miss it, then I'm afraid that numbers one through five might be in vain or or at the very best be unfruitful. So the Bible teaches that the followers of Jesus are meant to first and begin by seeking after and being filled by God's spirit. And only then comes the neighboring, only then comes the ministry. It's not the other way around. But this idea runs throughout the core of the gospels in the book of Acts, where the early disciples were seeing radical salvations and radical change in their neighborhoods and in the cities beyond. And it was all by the power of the Holy Spirit and his leadership over them. And guys, I share, I share this humbly and I pray you wouldn't hear it as boasting. But I, over the past two weeks as I've prepared, I have read every mention to, mention of or reference to the Holy Spirit in the gospel books, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record the life and the words of Jesus. And I've done the same thing for the book of Acts. And, and there's one thing that struck me the most, and I wanna share that with you. It's one thing that struck me the most. It's a thread of scripture that shows the presence and the power of the ultimate neighbor whom we should seek to be after, to live like. That ultimate neighbor is Jesus. And we see this thread of scripture begin in Luke chapter three. The beginning of Luke chapter three, it starts talking about, it starts by talking about John the Baptist who the heading might be uh, prepares the way for the Lord. And John is kind of this wildcat type of man that's out in the wilderness baptizing people. And then Luke chapter three, if you'll flick to that, Luke chapter three records the day that Jesus is baptized. And just pay attention to the words. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him 
in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And what a day this must have been, the day of Jesus' baptism. And if you know me, you know I love a good baptism, but I can't get started on that. But we see that following Jesus' baptism, something so unique happens that all of the gospel authors reference it. That the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven in a way that is so pure and so distinct that it said it's like a dove and it rests upon him. And the heavenly father speaks affirmation and blessing upon his son. And then at the end of Luke chapter three, we see Luke the author take a a pause in the story and he gives the genealogy of Jesus, his family lineage. And this thread of scripture picks back up in the very first verse of Luke chapter four. And notice what it says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And then in the next few verse, we see Jesus overcome what's perhaps the greatest trial from Satan outside of the Garden of Gethsemane, perhaps. And and the enemy tries to to skew Jesus' mind and turn his eyes away from the Lord's mission for him. Yet Jesus, being full of the Spirit, responds with the truth of Scripture. So you see, Jesus is full of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. And it's not his own power, but the Spirit leading him to fulfill his Father's will for him. And Jesus returns from the wilderness after defeating Satan's schemes and plots against him. And verse 14 tells us what happened next. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report of him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So once again, we see Jesus obediently follow where the Spirit is leading him. And we can't overlook these words that the author has intentionally included, that what Jesus does and where he goes and who he interacts with is dictated by the leadership of the Holy Spirit in his life. It's not willy-nilly or by chance, but it is by God's Spirit residing in him and giving him specific leadership and strength. And we see after this, Jesus goes back to Nazareth, uh, his hometown. And he went up to the synagogue or the the place where Jewish people worship on a Sabbath day. And scripture says he picks up a scroll and he goes to the front and he opens it up and reads it in front of everyone. But pay close attention to what he reads. It's from the book of Isaiah and it's describing the Messiah, which means the chosen one. And this is what Jesus reads. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set at liberty all who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the intendant, and he boldly says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And here's what I want you to see from this thread of text this morning that Jesus' ministry towards his neighbors and the nation of Israel did not begin with some extravagant miracle or some amazing sermon that got him famous. Rather, the ministry of Jesus began with an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And you can prove it to yourself. Read the book of Luke. In Luke chapter one and two, that's really our Christmas story, if you will, about Mary's pregnancy and his birth. And then Jesus grows up and 
He grows up and comes on the scene and before scripture ever uh, records him healing anyone, before he preaches a sermon, before anyone, he calls out anyone towards discipleship, Jesus was first anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And only then does ministry explode. And only then are the reports going about him all around. And here's why this is such good news for us this morning, church. That this same leadership and same power from God's spirit that enabled Jesus to change the world is also available to us. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesies and he says, the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. He says, I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways and be careful to obey my rules. That promise is true for us today, that God is willing to fill us with the same spirit that filled Jesus. So the Lord doesn't give us what can seem like epic commandments and leave us out to dry with no help, but he will anoint us with his spirit and he will give us particular wisdom particular discernment and leadership in our lives that empower us to faithfully walk in these commands. And there's good news that this thread of scripture doesn't just stop with Jesus, but it continues throughout the book of Acts. You know, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Acts, but most times when I've read it, I'm usually blown away. I'm like, who are these guys? And how are they doing this? Because they seem next level compared to me, you know. But the reality is, is the disciples of Jesus weren't special in worldly ways. They get in trouble uh, with the religious elite of the day called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were calling them uneducated and common. And most of y'all in here have doctorates, so we got that on them, you know. (laughs) But the disciples, they didn't seem to have some cutting edge evangelism strategy or some off the charts church planning strategy. They weren't rich. Peter says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And what they had, church, is the Holy Spirit. In the first chapter of Acts, Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem, as in sit still and don't start yet. Wait until you receive my spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses. And it'll start in your neighborhood, then it'll go to the ends of the world. So just like Jesus The apostles didn't start ministry and then the spirit came. Rather, they waited and received the gracious gift of help, the Holy Spirit. And only then did the neighboring begin. Only then did revival break out. And it can be so easy to overlook the spirit's leadership in the book of Acts if you fixate on how out there or kind of miraculous some of the stories are. But if you read closely, you'll see it. And there's so many ways we see the Spirit's leadership in Acts, and I gotta encourage y'all to, to read it on your own, but these are just two. And the first one is that the Spirit will give you the right words in the moment. As we seek to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission, the Spirit will give us the words in the moment. In Acts chapter three, Peter and John, they heal this man that's been crippled since birth, and word gets out about it, and those Jewish elite guys, the Pharisees, are really, je- really jealous and are trying to squash this movement of Christianity. And they bring him in and they're detained and they begin interrogating him, them. 
in Acts chapter four, verse eight, it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was given words to defend the gospel before the Pharisees. And I'll be honest with you, this chapter four is more like the context of persecution. It's not in the context of neighboring or evangelism, but the principle still applies that the Holy Spirit will give us words to say as you seek to share the truth of God and the gospel message. He will give you words when you haven't thought it through or you haven't brainstormed it, brainstormed it beforehand. He'll give you words when you're nervous, like me up here. He'll give you words when people ask you questions or you don't know if you'll be accepted or when you don't have notes in front of you. And this has just been so true in my life. You know, the, the first time I visited Africa to support our missions partner, Glenn, uh, I knew they had several house churches that typically meet individually. But when our team was there, everybody would meet in some or one central location. And I had seen pictures of the worship and the dancing and just how electric it is. And I was really looking forward to it. I was really looking forward to attending it. But he comes, you know, obviously it's about to be Sunday morning and he comes up to me Saturday, probably about 9.45 at night comes up, he rubs his beard like this. He says, AJ, brother, uh, you want to preach the sermon tomorrow? I said, pardon? He said, yeah, you want to preach the sermon? I said, Glenn, like the, the sermon, like the main sermon. He's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, I say, uh, how long, Glenn? Like a half hour? He says, I'll never forget. He says, AJ, if you preach a 30 minute sermon, it'll be the shortest sermon they've ever heard. <laughs> so I said, okay, uh, that's like 12 hours from now, Glenn. You know that, right? <laughs> but I just remember praying. <laughs> I said, Lord, I don't know what to say. I I've never done this. I, I don't know what to do. And granted, it's culturally real different there than it is here in America. Like at ICC, if you preach on Sunday morning, they give you like three months notice, you know? But in Africa, man, you got 10 hours to get ready. <laughs> that includes your sleep, you know? But I remember waking up and praying, Lord, they expect me to preach for an hour and I don't have any notes. I probably got like one good sentence in my head, you know? <laughs> but I prayed for an anointing from God's spirit just to meet me in my weakness and my, I don't know what to say, God. And just asking that he would give me the words in the moment. And I just took the microphone and he did. I'm not saying it was perfect, but he met me there. And church, I don't share that story to boast in an experience I've had or something I've done, but I share it to boast in the Holy Spirit's ability and his faithfulness to give us words in moments where we're nervous to speak or when you go up to your neighbor and you don't know what to say, or you don't know if they'll receive it or think you're weird, but the Holy Spirit is faithful to lift words up out of your mouth from deep reservoirs of gospel truth that you didn't even know you had. He will give you words, church. We just gotta take a step of faith and he'll meet us there. And secondly, the Spirit will give us specific leadings towards neighbors. I saw this all throughout the book of Acts. Paul talks about how the spirit constrained him to stay certain places or the spirit testified of him to go a certain place. 
One unique story uh, from the book, it comes from chapter eight. Chapter eight talks about Philip, who is one of Jesus' disciples or his followers. And he's on this road and he, see this, he sees this Ethiopian man reading actually. And Acts uh, chapter eight, verse 29 says, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Go over there, the spirit said. And just like the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip, he still speaks in the same way even today. Whether you call it God told you to go there or he's leading you or nudging you or whatever language you wanna use, God is still leading us in this way. And if we abide in him and open up our hearts to his leadership, saying, who do you want me to move towards, Lord? He'll give you leadership, he'll do it. He may lead you by giving you a thought to text that classmate that you know lives alone and just invite him over for dinner. Or he may put on to, into your mind or into your heart that widow who everyone else forgets, but he wants you to remember. Or he may tell you to go over, maybe not to a chariot, but to somebody's front porch. And these are just two examples from the book of Acts that he'll give you words and he'll give you leadership if we just open up our hearts to him. And there's so many more in the book. And I just encourage you, as you you read through the book of Acts, if you will, take out a highlighter or take out a pen and pay close attention to where the Holy Spirit's giving unique leadership to Jesus' followers. And know that when you see it in their lives, remember, the Holy Spirit did it for them. He can do it for me too. And trust him for it. Trust him. And I'll be honest, church, you know, I want to maybe alleviate some tension or basically let us come back down to earth. Talking about the Holy Spirit can, can be a little different, you know. I, Wednesday night, Caleb Jones asked me, oh, what are you teaching on Sunday? I said, uh, basically the Holy Spirit. And he said, yeah, man, like talking about the Holy Spirit can be like meta. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I don't really know what that means, but that's why I agree, you know. But it can be, just feel out there or even taboo to some but there is some mystery to it. And or some people call it the Holy Ghost and that can seem kind of spooky, you know? But we are a spiritual people who walk by faith. And there's always gonna remain some mystery behind who the Holy Spirit is and how he works today. And we may be tempted to think that the Spirit's voice is only reserved for some ultra mature or enlightened Christians who have transcended past us normal Christians but that's not true. And he makes us, himself available to normal folks like you and I. And part of the, the way that I know we as a church need to grow, it's not just intellectually understanding these things because y'all are as smart as they come. Not just understanding the theology, but walking into it, that the Holy Spirit still speaks. And although this is a spiritual thing, there are some tried and true ways that we can know without a doubt and consistently encounter God's spirit and receive his leadership and and his insight. I've just called these learning to be led. There's so many of these. These are just three simple examples of how we learn to be led by God's spirit. The first is simply just to cultivate an awareness of God's presence. Scripture teaches us that there's no place we can go where God won't be there with us. We can't flee from his presence. And for us, it looks like taking intentional moments just to acknowledge that and invite God in 
and to give them some room. And maybe it's before you get out of the car, before you go to work, or before you see your first patient of the day, or before you go on a nightly walk, praying something like, God, I I know you're here. I know you want to move and glorify yourself and bring about good to this place. Would you help me to be more aware of how you're doing that? Would you help me to be a part of that? God, would you give me eyes that are seeing what you want me to look at, ears that are hearing it, and words that you would have for me? And the Holy Spirit will bless these prayers as you seek to cultivate this awareness. And you'll begin to experience leadership and nudgings towards people or towards situations that you might have otherwise missed. And secondly, this is huge. Learning to be led looks like understanding that the Holy Spirit primarily speaks through God's word. He primarily speaks through God's word. And you know, if you're unsure of whether or not the Holy Spirit's still speaking, well, we have a book to prove that he is. All you have to do is open up the Bible. The Bible testifies that scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for all things. And the Spirit has inspired it. And men have written it down for our benefit. And the Bible is our solid ground that we come back to in moments where we feel unsure of what the Spirit might be leading us to. And it's refreshing in that way. Because learning to be led looks like, well, I know the Holy Spirit always leads in a way that affirms what the Scripture teaches. And He'll never ever lead me in a way that contradicts what Scripture teaches. So it can become refreshing and clear and easy to learn to be led. And I promise you this is true, church, because it's happened in my own life. That the more of by his grace God has put his word into my heart, the more I've been led. And there's a direct correlation, I believe, between the amount of time that we spend meditating on God's word and the Spirit's unique leadership in our lives and what he'll call us to. And Jesus says, his own know his voice. It's like a mother is able to recognize her child's voice in the midst of many voices. Jesus says his own will be able to recognize his voice. And how we know his voice is first and foremost knowing what he said in his word. It's what he said in his word and letting it sink deeply into our hearts, reminding ourselves of it, reciting it to one another each and every day. In doing so, this meditation will create a deep repository in your heart that the Holy Spirit will will pull from to give you clear, rock-solid direction and leadership in your life. And lastly, and perhaps the hardest one, is taking time to listen. Taking time to listen, because we so often can become too hurried in our lives, too hurried to pray, or maybe unbothered to pray. And when we do, it's a lot of us talking. It's a lot about me my problems, my issues, and not that that's a bad thing, but we rarely take time to be still and listen. I think the modern church has lost the art of silence and solitude, being alone and being quiet before the Lord. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and be still. Because the Lord's voice and his leadership in my life, it's not often been a shout. It's been more like a whisper. And I've had to take time to listen, take time to try to recognize it. And I promise that if we as a church took more regularly scheduled time of silence before the Lord, that he'd speak to us more, that he would reveal names, places that he's leading us to pursue. 
And church, these are just three ways that I've seen God work in my life to, to help me learn how to be led, but there's so many more, and we have so much room to grow in it. But I encourage you, maybe start here. And each week, you know, we've had the opportunity to hear from ICC members about this is not just teaching, but this is ways of living. And we get the honor and the privilege of hearing from two of our best. It's Andrew and Taylin Padgett, and they can come up. Andrew and Taylin, if you know them, they are some of the most godly and some of the most humble people that I, I know. And they love and they serve our church so well. And I'm just excited that you all get to hear about all that God is doing uh, in their lives and also in their neighborhood. So I'm just honored to be here with y'all. Thanks for being here. Just to start, Andrew and Taylor, do y'all care to just introduce yourselves, kind of tell us what you do, maybe how long you've been at ICC, and just what, uh, and where you live, yeah. Uh, my name's Andrew. Um, I work here at the church as our um, ministry environment specialist. Um, we've been going here yeah, for about four years. We live in the Berkeley neighborhood, and uh, yeah, it's great. Cool, cool. Do y'all care to share a story about how you've seen living by the Spirit impact your pursuit of your neighbors? Could y'all share a few stories? that we um, also served in, so we bought a house, um, thanks to Allie helping us uh, find a cute little house. Um, yeah. yeah, and we uh, really enjoyed uh, moving into a neighborhood for the first time and really feeling like we were connecting with our neighbors, and um, that was just really sweet, um, moving into our, our little neighborhood, and um, we were making intentional decisions to uh, meet our neighbors, go on walks, and uh, to pray um, for our neighbors, and, and just really try to look for opportunities uh, to engage. And yeah, we were, I mean, we were just enjoying living there, and we were going through a book uh, called The Rhythms of Grace uh, with our community group, and it's just been like a sweet season for um, a whole year of just... Um, yeah, just getting to like listen to, to God and, and follow where He's leading us and make uh, steps of obedience um, is what we were doing. Yeah, so um, we uh, kind of felt like God maybe had something more planned for us in um, a year. Yeah, it's been a year since we moved into the house and an opportunity came up to um, buy another house in the neighborhood. 
um, by some friends that we had met, and they were also believers, and um, we just spent some time considering it, praying about it, and would go over there just to see the house, and um, they, we would actually have like worship times with them, which was really cool, and like pray uh, together, and they prayed over us, and um, so yeah, God yet again opened doors that we didn't expect, because um, the last thing on our mind a year into buying a house was buying another house, um, but yeah, it's yeah. been really cool. And, and too, just like living in the neighborhood, we started to like really see the need too of um, our neighbors that, that didn't know God. And, um, and we had a couple other neighbors that were believers and like we really wanted to partner with them. And um, so we kind of had this vision of, um, um, yeah, organic, organically loving our neighbors. And so this, the house we moved into back in... Um, May, we're actually able to keep, and we asked some other people to move into the house, some friends of ours that are good at sharing the gospel, and like we're really hoping um, to be able to live life on life with them, so um, yeah, people will will know that uh, we're Christians by the love that we have for one another, and um, so I'm really excited about that, excited for what um, God is going to do next in the season. Uh, we're still praying about it and asking God to go before us. And, um, you know, whenever we were, you know, first getting in Memphis and thinking about Arkansas and those feelings, it's like we were projecting our own thoughts onto God. And we were saying, like, this is what he wants for us. But when we took the time to lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit and to pray and to read his word and that's whenever God really started to change things and God really started to work. Wow. Thanks for sharing, guys. And that's, that's such a powerful story. And, and especially for us in our unique setting as we often are a transitional church and many people come here thinking it's only for a season of work or school. But God, in, God calling people out from what they think he has for them and kind of like uh, Philip was told by the Spirit, go over there. He said, Padgett's, go over and plant and thrive and be a part of a gospel movement there in this neighborhood. So such a powerful story for us as a church. Thank you for sharing, guys. And also, could y'all share any encouragements or practical wisdom that you all have as we as a church seek to do what seems like you all are already doing is pursue our neighbors by living with the Spirit? Yeah, so, I mean, we definitely don't do it perfectly by any means, but some things that we've noticed have helped in uh, being open is to make time for availability for our neighbors. So I know, like, a lot of us are real busy, um, worried about productivity and everything. Um, so even, like, blocking off times in your schedule to go for a walk and meet the neighbors and um, taking, if there's something like social media that you spend a lot of time on, maybe cutting that out to make time for, um, yeah, others. Yeah, deleting social media is uh, it's a blessing. Um, and <laughs> you don't know what God has for you until you do it. So um, it's definitely my encouragement to you. Um, yeah, I mean, just cut out things in your life that are quenching the Holy Spirit's leadership. Yeah. And take time to evaluate and commit yourself to the Lord again and saying, God, like, what do you have for me? Like, this is my car, Lord. Like, you gave it to me. Lord, help me to be faithful in the way that I drive it. And this house and the things that we have. And 
um, taking those things each day and saying, like, God, this is the day you have made. Like, help me to be a good and, and faithful servant. And, uh, Lord, help me to establish my steps today. God, go before me today. I think praying those things every day really is a game changer and, like, um, seeing God's work. That's so good. And, you know, it kind of puts flesh to the bones of what I said. It sounds like cultivating that awareness of God's presence with you, that he's given you these things to steward well, and just inviting his leadership in like you also do. And then, like Taylor, you mentioned cutting out things, taking the time to listen. So it's just obvious that God is doing a work in you all as you choose to intentionally live by the Spirit. So just thank you guys for sharing. It's been such an encouragement. So guys, if y'all don't mind giving them a round of applause. In church, I do, as we've done every week, I do want to leave you with a challenge. And it's for y'all to take home and wrestle with. Maybe you realize this today or maybe it takes a few days of seeking the Lord. But the challenge I have for you is ask the Holy Spirit to place the name of a neighbor on your heart. Just ask him for a name. So often he's done this in my life. It's the name of a teammate or a classmate. But lately it's been the name of a neighbor. And he might be leading you just to start by praying for them, interceding on their behalf. It may be that you need to serve them or have them over. And I don't know what it is, but I know there is somebody. It's maybe somebody you've known for a long time or maybe somebody you need to go out and meet. But if we sit with the Holy Spirit and seek his voice, he'll speak a name. And we as a church, we need to write it down and remember it and then move. That's our challenge for this week. He'll give you a name. And church, I, I, I just, as I close, I, I bring it back to the question of, it's not what makes us good, but what makes us distinct? What makes ICC distinct? Because there's a lot of good neighbors out there there's a lot of secular nonprofits doing a lot of great work. But when people see us, when they hear our words, when they interact with us, do they pause and say, man, he's different. Those people are different. I don't know what it is, but something is different and it might make them curious. But our only hope is that the Holy Spirit will make us distinct as we live by his leadership. And today the gift of the Spirit is a free gift of grace to us. But remember that free grace, this free gift of grace came at a great cost. You see, in our, in our own nature, our fleshly nature, the human heart in its sin is no place for God. We've all turned away, we've all dirtied ourselves, with sin and rebellion. You know, it's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They chose rebellion and they no longer had access to God's presence. Sin alienates us, separates us from God's presence. It puts up a, a wall of hostility between him and us that we cannot climb over, that we cannot break through. Yet there's good news this morning. Jesus says, it is better that I go and where the spirit took him was to the cross. It took him to the cross where it cost him his blood and his life so that sinners such as you and I could have our hearts washed clean 
The Bible says white as snow. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes our transgressions from us. And it's because of Jesus' shed blood that restores us to God the Father and cleans us so that our hearts could be once again a place where God could dwell. And three days later, the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead, showing that even death itself couldn't be defeated. And Jesus says, the same spirit that rose me from the grave is now available to you. And as the, the band comes, we'll have prayer, prayer counselors. We're about to sing a song that says, not by power, not by my, but by my spirit. This comes from the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is given a vision in the third chapter of a, of a place, the nation of Israel, that is radically changed by the goodness of God where God will walk among his people and his presence will dwell there. And Zechariah looks at it and he said, God, how can these things be? How can these things be, God? And God speaks back to him. He says, Zechariah, it's not by power. It's not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So as we, as, as neighbors and we as a church, dream of a radically changed neighborhood and a radically changed Memphis, it's, it's not our trying harder. It's not the HOA gonna solve it. It's not the DA or the county mayor gonna solve it. And for us, it's the same. It's not by strength nor by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by his spirit, ICC. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15.13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.